jumping out of portals and giving you the old time punch. <laughs> feature, please. A heinous trip at warp five. My name is Joseph. I'm your co-host, Peter. Peter, let's not do too much dicking around, my friend. What episode of Star Trek Enterprise do we review this week? We have graduated to season two, episode one, Shockwave part two. Peter, I was not a huge fan of Shockwave part one. I am a tremendous fan of Shockwave part two. Uh, I feel like I watched an entirely different television program this week in terms of the care of its production and the pacing of the, the show itself. I think that was my big problem last week is the pacing just felt very uh, slapdash. I loved it. And even though I knew what was going to happen, I was riveted. So I, I, I don't know if I've come around to your position or maybe you're like, no, this sucks now. Joseph, now you're the you're the simp for for Enterprise, but I'm I'm here. I fucking loved it. No, this sucks now, Joseph. You're the ah! simp for uh, Enterprise. This was trash. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't on my scale put it as trash. I, I'm going to file this as a three, which I'm calling meh. Um, and it doesn't surprise me that you enjoyed it as much as you did because watching this, I felt like uh, they were shooting it. I felt like I was rewatching Broken Bow. And I don't say that in a good way. Um, there's parts of this that I enjoyed. Uh, there was a lot that I just flat out hated. And uh, you could see they got their budgets refreshed for sure. Oh, hell yeah. The money was all over the place. And not Lots just in the effects. Yeah. It, you know, the, the, everything that as anemic as season one finished off they just they came back with a boom and it makes me wonder if budgeting wasn't an issue would this be the way that rick berman and uh braga did all this so this came out september 18th 2002 written by rick berman bram braga directed by alan croker all familiar names very and i would have to say Gosh, I wish I could see like the script and like green lines were written by Berman and red lines were written by Braga and just see who's actually responsible for what. And I'm a little surprised you're this down on it. If I after your praise of last episode and that there were stakes and that there was action and there was shit going on. This is just, it cuts out the middleman. Like, it goes into action, and it doesn't stop until the, the end. Yeah, I mean, I was pumped to start watching this. I was, like, sitting down. I was like, oh, yeah, fuck yeah, we're getting back into this. Here we go. Uh, and funnily enough, and I, I want to pause the episode here for a second. My wife comes in and goes, hey, do you mind if I watch with you? And I'm like, no, absolutely not. And then I go to Cuba. I'm like, fuck, this is a part two. I'm like, okay, so... Uh, I'm going to let me last episode. And then I'm sitting there and I'm like, how the fuck do I recap that cockamamie? <laughs> like, like, like just for a second. You know what Explo you're doing right now, Peter, is you're explaining why it is sh these shows tend not to be serialized. You could cut out the entire first season and just, ha just try to describe the last episode it is absurd. Well, the temporal Cold War uh, and the they set a colony on fire and it blew off the sky and uh, the shape shifting mercenary. So I was like, I, I don't know. Let's just hope that there's a recap before the episode. And luckily there was. Yes, <laughs> just enough. Um. And I'll tell you what else I did. I, I tried watching the intro with my fingers crossed, hoping maybe just maybe they changed something, anything. Mm -mm. The sheer fucking hubris mm -mm. of Rick Berman. Like hi. a year later, he still thinks this is a good idea. How many people do you think told him this thing fucking sucks? Do you think he goes anywhere near the convention circuit? Like I had to assume that people were just shitting on this thing out in the streets, right? Oh, yeah. I, I can't. Even in the rarefied bubble of L.A., someone told him it was garbage. 
But and who are they guess- working on this? This is still UPN, right? Yeah. He's got bosses like Vince McMahon didn't come over there and say <laughs> Vince McMahon just suplexes him. <laughs> it's puts him through a fucking folding table. Yeah. You could just <laughs> for faith of the heart. Let me tell you something, uh, Rick. I'm going to do you a favor. You can throw your intro out and let you open your Star Trek show with The Rock's intro. This knockoff of Max Stickman. And it'll be gold because what you have is trash. So my biggest disappointment in all of this starts because we pick up in the past, I believe. No, we have we we first have the teaser, which is where we see something that um, or hear something, I should say, uh, that uh, dominates the proceedings is from an from a audiovisual standpoint, and that is all of T'Pol's lines that are spoken in the bridge. And in the hallways are uh, 80 yard. So I don't know what happened with the onset audio that they had to have Jolene Blaylock come into the studio and re-record all of her lines for most of her lines for the episode. Like her speech at the end uh, was on, on set audio. And there was a couple uh, when I think when she was having the vision of, of uh, Archer uh, that was on set audio, but uh it's almost all ADR and poorly. Like you can hear her lips smacking up against the fucking mic. It's like, what the fuck are you guys doing? <laughs> you had to know that sounded bad when she was in the booth, right? What? What? Come on, come on. Yeah, uh, very questionable. I'd love to know more about that. We're going to start doing a new award, I think, when we're doing our season rips, and it is the worst memory alpha entry. This. Clearly big money episode. It's season two, episode one. It's the first for the season. It is perhaps the smallest memory alpha that I've ever seen. Barely anything there. And it's a real shame because I had questions. I had questions about the ADR. I had questions about clear budget upgrade. Mm -hmm. I'm not just talking about like there's some really cool space effects like damage on Enterprise, like carving up the hull. That stuff's cool. But just the cinematography of this episode seems to be at a different caliber and the, the resolution of the lens also appeared to be much better. I know we're watching it in HD and it was shot in HD and last season certainly was, uh, was at least 720, but I wonder if this was like a 1080 lens or something because it, it you could see fucking people's pores in the, in the close-ups. It was, it was kind of, I mean, it's nice, but they, I, I have so many questions, and the memory alpha had no answers for me whatsoever. Alan Croker's had a lot too. Like, I mean, this is the guy that did Endgame. He's done a big chunk of the enterprises we've watched up to this point. The amount of difference in style—it almost feels like he had some interns, and he was like, "You guys yeah. get to do this one." Yeah, like it felt like a younger guy was making this, like not an old hand, because it didn't feel—it felt so dynamic. You know, it felt so different. It felt so, like, unique. Maybe I, with the budget refresh, like, they got more cocaine? Yeah, yeah, no, you, you refresh the mountain, right? You have a, <laughs> a bigger mountain of cocaine. And then you just, you just have a, a bus that comes from L, uh, UCLA's film school. Uh, and and you just have them go by the, the, the mountain. And they come back around. And their uh, pupils are completely dilated. And they are foaming at the mouth. And you're like, give them a camera. And be like, okay, I want you to do this shot with all of these syllabon running through, and we're going to do it like handicap style. <laughs> yeah, that's obviously it. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. That's 10 out of 10. Correct. So yeah, the, the cold open is Silic on Enterprise saying, where the fuck is our trend? And I will say that Silic is uh, probably my second place best character at this point after Shran. I don't know what it is about this guy. I really enjoy his delivery. Um, the more I see of him, the more I like him, the more I want him around, and the more I curse Mayweather any time he's the one actually on the screen. Uh, but nobody seems to know. And they get invited on the ship. They tear it apart. They can't find him. Hmm. So post-credits or post-intro, uh, we cut back to the future. And I am so dismayed that they completely gloss over just how the fuck it is that Archer gets down from the rubble of that building where there was clearly <laughs> no stairs like... Give me the scene of him somehow repelling down big cop out there. But no, they're they're walking around and I'm air quoting here. 
the wreckage of the future, which is, of course, just uh, the caves planet hell scene. Uh, stage just light with some crap lightly thrown around. And we also get our first really high def, super up close look at this god awful black Michelin man suit that <laughs> time Zuck is wearing. And the more I look at this thing and his pacey skin, his fucking hair is so terrible. And so oh, Mark Zuckerberg, like it is. That is all I see is Mark Zuckerberg. He really so, did look even more like Mike Mark Zuckerberg in this in season two now. And also, uh, it's the first time we've seen Daniel's uh, snippy, uh, a little pissed off, some yes. like personality. To he him. mentions snippy because with that black, that quasi goth suit he's got on, uh, he shall henceforth be known as Edward Zuckerhands. <laughs> this is this is, is space Zuck if if written and directed by Tim Burton. Yeah, <laughs> I like it. So they're knocking around this fucking Dollar Tree post-apocalyptic judgment day, and uh, we are going to get into this rut of Edward Zucker hands bitching and moaning about how the future is ruined, and you know he's a part of it and what a big mess this is. And then Archer standing there like a big dumb oaf, like, huh? What? Huh? What? Tell me more. Tell me more. And then Edward Zucker hands jumping over the next thing to fret about to the point where, uh, Zucker hands lets out enough, like, Oh, there was the monument to the Federation. And here's all this very two dimensional dancing around the bush, uh, that you are clearly, the most important guy in history and time. And that's why everything's focused around you without Archer fucking catching on. It's infuriating. Yeah. At some point, uh, Archer, you should probably realize that the reason time changed because you left is that you were vital to the time stream. Even, even you should be able to reckon to that. It did, the around the third time he seems to steadfastly refuse to recognize that fact. It does get a little old, but I did appreciate that. The reason why Daniels is so snippy is that like, he's it's like a modern person being followed around by like a medieval knight. Like you're useless to me trying to solve modern problems. You don't fucking understand anything about like where I'm from. I'm five, six, seven hundred years in the future from you. I'm making fucking time machines in high school. You're a you're an oaf in a, in a ship at War Five. I went and visited you like the same way that someone goes on a fucking field trip. I was like, oh boy, I get to see the past. I get to. I'm gonna get to watch you. Uh, you know. Of, of fucking William the Conqueror, you know, win the Battle of Hastings or whatever. Like, oh, this is neat. Not that, like, any of these people could operate a fucking iPhone or, or, or be useful to me in 2022. And suddenly stuck with this fucking ape, as you so put, uh, trying to, to fix this time problem uh, with a guy who's too stupid to actually understand what's going on. So stupid, in fact, that for all their questions... And all the, the rudimentary investigating they're trying to do. Not once does Archer think to pull out his fucking scanner, which he has in his pocket, and will come out into play later on. So, oh, no, everything's destroyed. It's all ruined. Look how old this is. Like, whatever did this damage was a while ago. Every building looks like it was blown out in a nuclear explosion. Uh, but, hey, we're going to go check out the library. Well, the library is going to be useless because all the information was stored electronically. Luckily, in this post-apocalyptic uh, city of ruin, that library, like A-minus condition. Not only is it an A-minus condition, they clearly just went to shoot on location at a actual like library. So they went from soundstage, you tell us a soundstage, it's dressed like a soundstage. It sounded like a soundstage. It looked like a soundstage. And then suddenly they're in this big echoey marble room with very tall ceilings talking to each other with on set mics that are, are reflecting the echo. And it's clear they went to some library. They're there after hours and they've dressed the place with some cobwebs and they're going through the actual books that are on the actual shelves of this 2002 library that they're currently shooting in 
The roof on this library must have been made out of like, I don't know, uh, invincible tanium or something. Of course. Not a hole in this roof, not a puddle of water, dirt or anything. So all these books are in just pristine fucking condition. No Mad Max people have come through and taken the books for firewood or anything. Yeah, you're being silly. Stop. Uh, No nuclear fireballs have ripped through this place and gutted it. It's just fucking... Move over half price books. There's a new flea market of paper around. And so Daniels, I, Daniels keeps going from book to book. I'm sorry. The production of this scene is just endlessly fascinating to me. Daniels goes from book to book and then does his dialogue about how like the future has changed at the point where Archer was involved. And he's clearly just they're just grabbing like fucking fiction books that look like they were written in like 1985 and he's like flipping through them like they're all histories or something and you can see the fucking spines you can see the titles they're, they got the 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 plastic you know uh co- dust, dust cover, cover. Mm-hmm. that books library was like we know where you are bro your immersion is broken i'm <laughs> like, surprised you even noticed all that i just couldn't take my eyes off of his hair that's got to be a wig right i think it's more of a painted on maybe it's plaster the same I don't, material that his uh, suit was. It's certainly not something that is of God's creation. <laughs> we'll, we'll be clear on that. So jump back to what I was saying before about the unending game of Daniels saying just enough to pique Archer's interests. Archer asking about it two or three times and then giving up. You're in the fucking library. Daniels is doing his thing. Feel free to wander off on your own, Archer, and read some fucking books. And if this guy wants to act like a bitch and say, no, you can't read that, be like, fuck you. You're not in charge. Uh, We are the only two people left on Earth, and I will do as I damn well please. So get the fuck off me before I fist fight you up in your father's mansion's attic. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's a tough one. He's got scissored hands. Like, you know, yeah, snippy hands. So he just keeps tagging along, badgering him with dumb questions. And then there's this horseshit eureka moment. And he's like, okay, well, we can't go back in time, but we know that Zordon was coming back in time and talking to the Suliban, the putty people with holograms. So do you have any technology on you? I need your scanner and your communicator. And I'm going to draw in the dust here real quick. We're going to make a device that can talk back in time using your archaic ass shit. And it's going to be so simple. We learned how to time travel in high school. Like that's that's the real crock of shit. There's the complete lack of scale and silliness in believing that all of the people that lived in this hyper future, that time travel was so basic that anybody would be able to to span aeons back in time. And, and beam like fucking, you know, phone calls like you're calling grandma. I mean, I understand they wanted to pass the, the sentiment along that uh, time travel is something that the uh, enlightened space people of the 31st century were uh, very familiar with. Uh, but I learned how to do this back in high school might have been too much. The right way to phrase that would have been like, listen, everybody who's part of time organization uh, you know, we know how to do this stuff just for emergency purposes. Or I think I can. It's, it's part of rudimentary, like temporal theory that you know all time agents learn, or something like. Sure, it's not basic. Yeah. Not the fucking kid jamming uh, pen caps into the electrical sockets in my science lab would be capable of doing. It's just, it's silly. It's dumb. Uh, meanwhile, back on Enterprise and in, in the present, uh, the 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 NXO one has been. Uh, towed to the big helix thing from Broken Bow, and uh, they're interrogating. Uh, they decide to interrogate Depaul uh, because Silicon gets talked into it by his second in command because they can't get in touch with the the shadow boss, and they're very concerned that they cannot get in touch with them because like they detected time bullshit, and that means they have to report back in to get direction. And I really liked that Silic is clearly very uh stockholm syndrome with his boss he does not know how to operate without directions i you know would like to get the plot pen out and fix this i think the right way to frame this for silic would have been that the suliban gain a narcotics like addiction to their augmentation 
and that he since he has had some of his um upgrades removed it's mm. like he's going through withdrawal and that's why he hits these frantic almost pathetic states where he is when they finally think they're reestablishing connection with Zordon like he's just completely fallen apart begging for direction and like so eager to please this guy uh, because he's fiending to, to get those pieces back and I would have liked to see his subordinate he kind of rubs it in his face a little bit, but like actually like needle him a little bit more, like may just, just enjoy the fact that he knows this guy's suffering. And I think it would have put that stuff into phase a little bit better. It's minor, but and maybe it's just better off as head cannon, but that's what I was getting. Uh, speaking of head cannon, um, remind me to tell you, because they never really clarify who Zordon is of the course of what? enterprise. Yeah. Um, what? Yes. Zordon's identity is never revealed during Enterprise. What the fuck? I've been like real careful on Wikipedia. Or, uh, I would still be careful because. I'm sorry. Who, who is the uh, executive producer here? Is it one of Janeway's many crazy <laughs> alternate personas? Like how? What? Yeah. What? Uh, I would I, still be careful because eventually uh, Berman did say like that they had it planned out and the writers knew who he, he it is supposed to be, uh, but they didn't get a chance to do the fifth season where my I, money was that it was going to be some sort of evil future archer. Would you like to know the answer to the question? No, I don't. Let's watch those next three seasons and then we can, we can talk yeah. about that. That is ridiculous. When, when the temporal cold war plot ends, I will tell you the answer to that question. It's obviously Patrick Stewart who is hell bent on destroying as much. Yeah, Star destroying Trek. as much Star Trek as possible. <laughs> yeah, like it's it's it's, it's evil. Current, yeah, it's earned. It's evil current day, uh, Patrick Stewart, or or Alex Kurtzman. You know, it's more likely Alex Kurtzman. It's Alex Kurtzman. <laughs> yeah, it's future Alex Kurtzman going back in time to to ruin Star Trek. Uh, so we pop back over, and they've decided. The, well, there's a little bit of dissent, right? It was get Archer or kill everybody subordinates like, well, we should kill everybody. And then Silex like, no, Archer obviously got zipped off to the future. And uh, I don't know why it takes us as many scenes to believe that as it does, even though I got the fucking time readings and we can't find them, whatever. Bring in the Vulcan. I want to interrogate her. Uh, and by interrogate, he means drag us all the way back to Broken Bow so we can have the most basic fucking how do we phrase the, the awards? Uh, sexual sexual explo objective. Like, exploitation. Yes. That here, here comes the big, the big uh, negative marks on this episode for me. And this is, this is the worst part for, I mean, I actually think this part is, isn't as bad as what will happen. Second. Oh, it's not. <laughs> Speaking of this is the jab setting up the fucking haymaker. <laughs> so, I would like to first credit Jolene Blaylock, who I think got better during the off season as far as being able to play her character. Cause I, you know, it's, you got to keep in mind like season one, she's trying to figure it out. Right. Mm -hmm. She had all the time to watch the episodes, get feedback, talk to people, comes back and playing the character in season two. She has clearly learned something. I think that was evident from the beginning of like how to ride that line of like, she's not supposed to be robot lady. She's still has emotions, but they're not, the gain is way down, you know? Mm -hmm. And so the way it expresses have to, has to be subtle and, and, but still present. And that was much more there in this episode than it was in the entirety of season one. So credit where credit is due. I think that was well done on her part to, to evolve her, her, portrayal uh the the issue is she does a great job being drugged and like she's trying to resist the questioning by making sure she's answering truthfully but trying to answer it in a very specific truthful way i thought that was well portrayed when they drag her in right she keeps getting asked questions and she provides she always tells the truth because that's probably i assume the chemical she's been given but she's because she's vulcan she is uh, keeping control of her uh, facts, uh, uh, faculties enough to give a specific truthful answer wherever possible. 
And it's Silic who zeroes in on very specific questions to ask that she tries to resist, resist answering and then cannot do so. I didn't read it that way. Uh, I read it that truly at this point, she still believes that time travel isn't real and cites the findings of the Vulcan science director. And just as much as that annoys and, and vexes Archer, it's doing the same thing to Silic, where they're both like, bitch, obviously there's fucking time travel. Just please, I, I want to move on from this point. I don't think that she, I mean, I think the last line of the episode belays the truth, frankly. Uh, she is willing to give that answer when asked about time travel because it is a truthful answer. And she is trying to not disclose actual information. And so she makes Silic work for it as hard as fucking possible to find out what's going on. But I, I will resist. say that, uh, you know, maybe you're right because I was not really paying attention to the scene as to what she was saying. I was more reeling in my fucking seat. What's, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not disgusted annoyed i guess that we've fallen back into this uh maximum mid-drift mode where they have taken to paul they've stripped her out of her uniform they've got some sort of like dog collar on her that's pumping her full of juices like she's venom and batman and i i'm trying to think of what we should call this episode the <laughs> my forerunner is a uh, naval academy <laughs> Uh, what was it? Was was it Zuckerberg uh, Nippy Hands or whatever the fuck the oh, name? Oh, uh, Edward Zucker Hands. Edward Zucker Hands. All that's second fiddle to the amount of TNA that they're pushing through this through the entire interrogation. Her on her bed. Her rolling around the floor. Well, that's it. That was post interrogation. During the interrogation, uh, you don't she's, see anything. Yeah, yeah, man. She's got that fucking that crop top on. But they don't show you their her whole body very much. It's clearly just. I thought they showed face. enough. That already, I was like, come on, enough with this fucking shit. Like you're yeah, telling me it, that's what she's wearing under her uniform. That's fucking stupid. Little did I know that was just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, it gets out of control when they take her back to her. Uh, quarters. They dump her on her bed. She is clearly wearing a crop top and yoga pants. Yeah, and they have her writhe, brawless, on her bed in pain and agony. And again, Shelby Blaylock gives the impression that she has been tortured and she is in agony. I wasn't I, getting the agony so much as if she was just reeling from the drugs, yeah, or like, that there was some sort whatever. of like that. I got the I got exactly what she intended, which is she is fucked up, right? And authentically like weak and addled. Like that was clear. Whatever phrasing I, you know, you want to use to describe it, she seemed impaired. Well, here here's the conversation I want to have. Let's cut the TNA out for a second. Yeah. I got a feeling that she had been somehow broken or meddled with. And, and that this is almost a turning point for her character because her behavior through the rest of the episode, specifically when she starts uh, directly opposing the Vulcan High Council at the end. Um, I, I, you've intimated in the past that at some point she is going to see a character that something's going to happen that's going to change her character. Is this it? No. Because I would have put my money that this is like that something about that interrogation has changed the way she works and that we are going to get a, a different person moving forward. So it's it's, it's interesting. Know, that yeah, the, 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 the moment will happen and then there's a lot that you'll have to consider after it happens. I'll just leave it at that. We also skipped over a part. Uh, jump back over to Admiral Forrest at Starfleet Command. Oh, uh, we'll get to that in a second. I want to finish our conversation about TNA. Because we haven't really talked about how gross it is yet. So the Julian Blaylock's ability to portray getting fucked up aside, they linger the shots over her writhing body to display her admittedly very attractive form as much as possible within the frame over the course of the scene in a way that I can only describe as leering. High exploitation. Yeah, that scene of her rolling around should have been two to three seconds. And I want to say it was well over a minute of a 45 yeah. minute episode. Um, they made a point of doing it and and just to do it. 
And they really made sure you saw all of her. And again, we haven't seen it be this blatant since Broken Bow. So like, what the fuck, man? Again, I kind of hope that we had grown out of it. It's been a while since there was anything that juvenile. And there it is. And man, she's got some fucking rocking uh, stomach action, right? Yeah, I mean, again, this is the most fit ship in all of fucking Starfleet. Sure. But but I'm just like, fuck, like, come come on. and again, you like the episode, you like Broken Bow. Maybe they sat down and they did the math and they said, all right, well, we had strong ratings out of the gate and we think it was good. Like, how much of that can we retread in this episode? Well, you know, we're going to get the action. We're going to get the space battles. We're going to get the gunfights. Got to get the boobs out. Got to get the tummy out. Uh, and this time we're going to drag Hoshian on it, too. But like, I don't know, man, maybe maybe contractually she had something where like, you know, X amount of episodes they they had to be able to get away with stuff like this, but and d- during the scene again, and it's a shame that it's it's juxtaposed with this clear sexual exploitation. Uh, there there's this great process that she's going through while Archer tries to talk to her through the makeshift time communication device that uh, Daniels has made uh, to reach her mind, right? Because she's still lost in all the bullshit she went through, whatever it was, whatever the drugs did to her, she is trying to focus and trying to communicate. She's like the Vulcan science directory has determined that's that, that uh, time travel is not fair is what she ultimately says. And then you'd see, she snaps into focus when he's, he's like making the personal appeal of like, I need you to trust me. I like he shoots in there, like straight up like Zordon from power Rangers, just this floating, wobbly holographic head that looks like a drug induced vision and that's why she's struggling to figure out the fuck is going on you know i also like that he just doesn't pick up on the fact that she's super fucked up and he isn't like all right uh let's try trip she she, (laughs) something bad has happened to her like let's go with someone else let me not trust our big plan to someone who is clearly impaired right now let's now move to the scene with that uh, back on earth with yeah, a, and this a, actually happened all before Archer actually reaches out. Like, this is pretty early in the episode. Uh, we got Admiral Force office. There's uh, Gary Graham mm-hmm. with his rolling crew. And they're like, uh, Enterprise has gone rogue and Starfleet needs to deal with this. And Force is like, what do you mean? You're like, tell me more. And they're like, well, you know, you guys ordered him back. He's not here. And now we're going to declare enterprise basically outlaw because i'm going to use some roundabout logic to assume that because my my science officer to paul would have never agreed to not following orders and archer is now kidnapped her so we're going to hunt down i and- I, re- I really liked this whole scene i thought everyone would turned on their acting extremely well i love that like this commander williams guy from the fucking pilot is there oh you mean <laughs> commander super jock commit <laughs> <laughs> commander close talk like commander super jocks like come on admiral let me don't make me ride the bench yeah come let's fuck, let's fucking roll. let's fucking let's smoke this dude right here soul steel you know get him you know fuck, fuck well i'll, yeah, I'll just i'm gonna superplex him and uh you know you can leg drop him we can win this one <laughs> it's, we can get this guy you know uh he's your roided up buddy you bring when you to the bar with you when you're mm-hmm. expecting, expecting trouble but everyone's really fucking good in this scene. Gary Graham, you know, like they're all doing their stage actor thing, hitting their marks, and they are in each other's fucking faces at just the right level of intensity. I liked it. It's I like, want to say I hate the Admiral outfits. The combination of shirt and tie with this goofy front zip jacket, it doesn't work. And all the guys wearing like the top brass Starfleet. It's an awkward, bad look. I don't know how to fix it. Maybe they just should have had. I I don't know. It takes me out. But no, I agree. It's good. I think this scene vilifies the Vulcans. And I think it proves a lot of uh, Archer's. Because Archer's been like over the top racist and leery of the Vulcans, right? Mm hmm. I have a feeling this scene was designed to kind of make his viewpoints more sympathetic and show that 
the Vulcans are shitty and they are throwing low blows and there's there's shit like this is actually going on. I mean, the, the implication that Saval leaves is we could always just fuck him up. Like, I, it's what I really liked about it, I think, was the reason why Starfleet has to treat what Vulcans tell them seriously is that ultimately the Vulcans hold all the cards. They have extraordinarily powerful ships and they could just decide that humanity isn't allowed to explore the cosmos if they want. What the fuck is, what is the fuck is earth going to do about it? Nothing. True. So how far do you push your luck with, with them? They're your, they're your allies. They're supposed to be, you know, your friends. Uh, and the marker is getting laid down a little bit of like, if I've got to go fucking collect this jabroni, I'm going to go collect them. And there isn't a damn thing that you guys can do about it. And it doesn't say that he doesn't do that threat because it's not supposed to be it's subtext, not text because they're Vulcans. I thought that was excellent. Yeah. And there's a sort of, there's a, there's a bit of like a, a, a theater to it all. And that like the Vulcans aren't going to throw themselves around and say, fuck you, no matter what. They have to prove that they're right, and that allows them to give them the, the kind of cover to enforce their will. And if they don't have that kind of circumstance uh, to, to to fall back on, they're not feeling comfortable, you know, telling someone like Archer to go fuck themselves, or tell Starfleet we're going to voluntold you that you're not allowed to explore deep space anymore. You know, it's all of that in one scene. That's why I think I liked it. I like I, that. That was that stuff was all fine. Let's jump to the next stupid part. And that is, <laughs> okay. Trip has uh, rigged the doorbells so they can actually use them as communicators. And I thought initially that uh, uh, Edward Zuckerhands was going to tinker with uh, Archer's communicator, let him talk to Trip through the door. But I in fact, that... yeah, he's it's... just talking, talking to Reed. <laughs> yeah, so you know, he's setting up this intercom. Uh, to Paul has her. Uh, her her secret meeting with Zordon Archer. They share the plan and uh, they start their Ocean's Eleven heist planning. And central to all of this is they need a way to get around the ship. And the ship doesn't really have Jeffrey tubes per se, but there is a crawl space, which it's just such a small crawl space, Joe, and Trip wouldn't be able to fit in it. And little Elvin... To Paul, she can't fit in it. Forget about super jacked Mayweather, but maybe Hoshi. Who Hoshi. I don't know. You, with, only a child or an Asian can fit within this crawl who, space. Who is the exact same size as to Paul. And Hoshi's like, what did I see on the trauma support group? Someone saying that like now they've suddenly noticed that every line of dialogue Hoshi has begins with a sigh. You're right, and boy, oh boy, does that happen in this scene. <laughs> well, because the know. camera's in her, like, this is another spot where the, the cinematography is interesting, because it's different, like, shots, they're all at their communicators, but they're all at different angles, and for whatever reason, they chose one that is, like, in fucking Hoshi's eye. Like, they're right in her fucking face, to the degree of, like, you know exactly how much makeup she had on. It's kind of kind of kind of insane, kind of crazy. They're so like, hey, someone's got to go through this crawl space. Hoshi, it's going to have to be you because Enterprise is under hostage siege by the Suliban time mercenaries. The captain's missing and they're probably going to kill us all. And we really need to do this so we can get free. And then Hoshi's like, no, I'm I'm scared of tight spaces. And they're like, oh, come on, Hoshi, you got to do it. So then we cut over to Hoshi. Hey, remember how I said it was a tight crawl space? Mm-hmm. By tight, I mean like the interior of a fucking minivan where I'm pretty sure <laughs> you and I duct taped together could have rolled through this thing pretty easily. I mean, would have bimed into some pipes, but we'd have gotten there. I Maybe the actress really has uh, some sort of fear of enclosed spaces, so they had to like redesign the set into this. Might as well be a fucking mall arcade worth of space but uh, but it's not so much space because we've got hoshi also in a uh a crop top with yoga pants writhing around in this crawl space just enough to show off that she also did a lot of sit-ups like exact same thing 
for, for again, lingering on her writhing around in this space for far longer than is necessary. Now that you mention it, I bet you they went with a large crawl space so she could get on her hands and knees and show off instead of actually having something that looks small, uh, uncomfortable and impossible for a full size adult male to crawl through. And they're like, yeah. no, nah, fuck that. Get, 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 make the scene bigger so we can see the goods. Uh, she crawls over to Flox, who has prepped two hyposprays. She goes crawling off. I take my eyes off the fucking TV for one second to write in my notes. Mm-hmm. While she starts trying to shimmy down, I look back up and I'm like, where the fuck is her shirt at? What the fuck <laughs> just happened? Damn this episode. I have to rewind. My, my wife's like, what the fuck just happened? I rewind. I can't tell you, Joe, how many times I've been climbing on something and my shirt has fucking flown off. What? It gets caught on a nail and she can't get it off. So she just falls through the hole and her shirt gets pulled off. Of course, she doesn't have a bra on either, right? Like apparently there's no fucking Starfleet bras anywhere. And uh, now she's standing in Reed's quarters uh, with with no shirt on and just enough time to have her have a shot with her hands over her tits. Just like saying, give me a shirt, please PLZ. And, and it's like, they showed her putting the fucking hyper sprays in like her pockets of her yoga pants or whatever, when she got them from flocks. <laughs> so like she's chilling her tits out and her fucking bio. Remind me, what's the last time enterprise got occupied by a hostile force? Acquisition. Uh, yeah, it was acquisition. Before that, it was the butt probe pro people. No, that wasn't a full occupation. And and in, in acquisition, same deal. You know what goes great? Two, two tastes that go great together is alien occupation and nudity. Last time it was Reed. This time it was Hoshi. But... At that point, I'm like almost completely fucking checked out of this episode. I was like, as if, as if the fucking to Paul stuff wasn't enough. Now, just shameless, just fucking stupid and shameless. Well, before we get too stupid and too shameless, we still get do get to uh, some cool plot. So they hatch their plan, and they make in dialogue it sound like Reed is going to have to like you know do some commando shit and shoot his way into whatever the objective is. And he goes to Daniel's quarters and secures through a like quantum portal, I guess that's supposed to be in like a, in the locker dimension, yeah. Pocket dimension, you know, a a portable hole, which is ridiculous to think that the Suluban checked the entire ship, uh, stern to whatever. And nobody thought to go into fucking Daniel's room with this big, combination lock on the outside of it well their time their time uh equipment is hundreds of years out of date so they might have gone in there and not detected anything and then and then put the lock back on it yeah and absolutely and said we'll wait to see if they know something that they're not providing to us maybe and sure enough they come out with uh what looks like a fucking speaking spell i don't know (laughs) like some gray box with buttons on it it looks like a lunch tray from the future and reed comes out and there's like three guys with guns there and then they cut to the most enterprise of things happening which is reed receiving head wounds now i've watched many head wounds over the course of enterprise season one always exclusively the domain of archer and i will say uh for whatever i've i've pooped on reed this dude sells an ass beating much better or maybe it's just the makeup people actually tried i think Archer gets like sexy masculine. Yeah, they gave uh, Reed. They gave Reed real fucking bruises. Reed looks like his fucking lips ripped open. It's ugly. He gets a he gets quite the ass beating. And over the course of the ass beating, he starts to give up information. And I think it was pretty clear from the jump at this point that the information he's giving up is the plan. That the idea was he would get caught on purpose. Sure. And, you know, while they never say that specifically, I think they do end up closing the loop enough that that's clear to the audience. 
And the plan is obviously to uh, distract Silic by having him take the fucking time speaking spell to his his headquarters, while Reed and Paul uh, initiate a core uh, meltdown in engineering. So they bust in, pull their best seven of nine, and shoot everyone in engineering, and then start the 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 meltdown. Uh, that the rest of the Suliban find and are like, uh, the humans have decided to kill themselves. Can we leave PLZ? This is where Maximum Silic kicks in for me. The abysmal leadership of this guy, the the selfish way he acts, the the insolence he shows uh, when he is inconvenienced by a subordinate. Like, hey, they're gonna fucking warp core breach this thing. Like, can you help us? He's like, no, I'm busy. You deal with it like rolling his eyes and stuff. Again, I said it before. I I think it's the green makeup around his eyes, but there's some real Herman Munster vibes. I get when he's being petty and I love it. So he's got the speaking spell in his uh, time chamber and he's trying to summon Zordon with it, right? The, the basically the plan was that reads like they didn't want you to have this, why? Well, they were afraid you were going to contact somebody, but I don't know who. And then Silic's like, shit, this is how I can talk to my boss. Takes it back. He's trying to phone home. He starts getting a little bit of a connection. Uh, meanwhile, over on Enterprise, they shoot a few dudes. They clear the ship. Everybody else is already abandoned. They tow it out of the nebula so it can go blow up on its own. And right before it blows up, it zips off into space. Seemingly without pursuit, which I thought was crazy, but that is certainly not the case. They put like 30 ships to go hunt it down. Jump back over to the time room and he's starts kind of communicating. Mm-hmm. So so you're telling me that you think that he's actually making communication with his boss? Because my my thought on this was that the whole plan was that uh, Edward Zuckerhands knew that he had this portal device hidden away and that Silic is actually summoning uh, the street fighter known as Jonathan Archer. <laughs> yeah, he he's, putting, in, he's putting in a special code to get to Akuma and he accidentally gets fucking dragon punched. And not uh, dragon punched, he gets like fucking <laughs> bicycle kicked. He thought he was getting a Street Fighter property and said Johnny Cage, Johnny Archer Cage comes bicycle, bicycle. No, I guess that was uh, it was Liu Kang. Yeah, it was a shadow kick, which makes sense because that was that shadowy effect in there when it was working. Regardless, Scott nah, Bakula peeling off another jump kick. I, I completely agree with your interpretation is that the 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 Fugazi was that he was using the machine to what he thought was uh, like link in with his boss. Uh, but you know, what, what direction they gave Reed was like, press this button and this button, and this button and give it to, you know, let him give him to him and it's going to connect to where we are. You and know, I'm going to give it to him. Yeah. And then I'm going to come up and I'm going to shadow kick and then I'm going to pull his heart out, you know, and then put my shades on. And Archer wins. Fatality. Silic yeah. gets rolled pretty hard. All of his mods and stuff must be turned off. Yeah. <laughs> Archer. Well, Archer got power leveled in Shockwave, remember? Like he comes in and he's just like not an OP for PVP. Just abs- immediately just like one punch man's fucking silicon into the dirt and takes his gun and is like gives the dirty hairy voice of like, now you, I'm not stuck here with you. You're stuck here with me. Sorry, the You pull but- in here, your putty boys, your silly putty tricks. I'm going to blow your fucking head off. And so it's like, well, unfortunately, my plot armor is expired and I'm now in bitch mode. Uh, Cut over to Enterprise. It's trying to fly away. They're very clearly in warp. They're being pursued. And then I see the Enterprise firing its phasers in warp. After we have explicitly been told that is not a thing. Explicitly. Not a thing. I would harp on it if I didn't just watch seven seasons of Voyager breaking core rules left and right. Right. I, I thought that was the fake war core breach and the effects of like how it was like blowing out the nacelles. And then they thought it blew it up 
and then suddenly they flicker back to life and they go to warp. That was really cool. The battle itself, and they're like not only really cool, it was it was well done. Yeah, to a level where I haven't seen anything that fancy. And we saw that fairly regularly, like cool shit like that in Voyager. But that's the first time Enterprise visual effects have really pulled out the stops. They go to warp and they do the fight and, you know, the the Suliban are fucking up the ship and they're like fucking writing their goddamn names in the hall with phasers. It's not good. And then suddenly it stops. And they realize the ships are backing off. I actually like the reaction that T'Pol had of like Mayweather's about to say the obvious thing. And she's like, no, I see it. <laughs> I see what's up. Yeah. And they contact the one ship that's coming up. And uh, I fucking they realize that, that their plan worked and that Archer is there and uh, Trip's like, son of a bitch. <laughs> he actually says it like Florida man, Florida man's very hard and they're very excited that their fucking caper worked out. And that Archer, you know, he had to take a take a a, a hostage, but he got away. So he, he'd like to come home and they can get, get the fuck to this Vulcan ship and settle the plot once and for all. Now, Joe. Uh, do they keep Silic or do they just let him go about his way? They let him go about his way. That seems to be what they clearly indicated that he would be in his ship adrift unconscious. If you're asking why, I don't fucking know. I would Is say Jonathan Archer physically allergic to maybe winning this thing. Yeah, because like, I understand we can say, well, listen, the Colonel Grot thing, like he didn't cooperate in the war against the cabal because he was real butthurt about this internment camp. Sure. This fucking guy just saw Judgment Day and his crew was taken hostage by the putty boys at least twice. He's got oh. the dude knocked out. He's back at the ship. There's physical evidence the time travel is real. <laughs> like, he's an, a witness. This guy's you know? like super time criminal, not time criminal, super terrorist criminal, and the linchpin in a fucking, like, the, the future's attempts to destroy reality. Like, I didn't think we'd get into weak as shit. Uh,. <laughs> Well, yeah, I'm sorry. Whatever I'm saying that seems silly and dumb and everything else, of course, pales in comparison to Hoshi's shirt falling off her as she crawled out of a hole. Yes, I agree. It was still worse. Fucking stupid episode. So whatever. We oh, dude, to the end. To, dude, to, there is so much before we get to the end. You, you you are hating on this very hard for something that has a lot of action, a lot of cool scenes, really great cinematography, good effects, pl- closes out the plot. Like, yeah, it's kind of dumb that they don't arrest Silic, and it is really dumb that Hoshi's shirt magically falls off. But other than that, this is pretty excellent. Let's let's put the third nail. Oh, hold on! I don't even know what how many fucking nails in the coffin around this thing. Let let's go to this stupid fucking gazelle speech. <laughs> okay, go defense, ahead. take the floor. I don't think it was bad. I think what? that the, I don't think it was terrible. He's trying to make a little metaphor about you know humanity reaching into the stars, this, the newborn space power. Um, it the problem was not what he said it was what he said it in response to which was an excellent recitation on the part of Saval talking about all of the criminal acts of the NX01 over the course of season one, which I thought you would deeply appreciate. Then he's like, Hey guys, hey, listen, Johnny, I have checked memory alpha uh, from season one and here are all the bad things you did in order. <laughs> Like, he almost names my list that I did when we were like, you know, we didn't get to it in the rip, but I had broken down like, did they commit more crimes or do more good? And yeah, for anybody paying even a modicum attention, like Enterprise has a super bad track record, which he smears in their face very well. Uh, glossing over a lot of things with Pajem, but of course that's going to get called to question here. And then yeah, like, so it's, it's some... 
uh, Starfleet Command. It's Saval and his cronies, and they're talking to everybody on the bridge. And then Archer takes the floor with this fucking, you know, so there I was on vacation and I saw a gazelle giving birth and like right there, they should have kind of like, dude, cut come, home. come home, <laughs> come home immediately. <laughs> Are you drunk? What the fuck? They let him go on. He tells this fucking awful speech. And it, it was such I felt it was such a bad fucking like, how is this going to be the big payoff speech? There was nobody that could look at this thing and, and, and structured it better in the writing room ridiculous he puts it out there uh that's the shitty lame part but then DePaul steps up and very openly defies the lockstep of the vulcan dignitaries and she goes right for the throat and she's fucking mad about it too and this is where the whole like her modulation of her performance was clearly so much better thing again she is pissed at this railroading that's occurring in front of her because she has been witness to the Vulcan's own bullshit. And this goes also to the scene we saw earlier with Saval, you know, throwing uh, some heat on on Forrest and kind of making some very subtle threats about what could happen uh, if if things don't go the way that Saval wants them to. Is I, You know what? We've got some fucking growing to do, Ambassador. We've made some mistakes. Have you considered how uh, incredibly... Uh, dishonorable it was for us to put a a goddamn military installation in an ancient uh, temple. And then it, cry that it got destroyed. And then bitch about how we got found out. Have you considered that perhaps the problem was that we did that to begin with? You know, perhaps there, you know, his, her sense that she gave was humanity needs to be out in, in the shit because someone else needs to be out here to ballast our bullshit. We cannot be the only ones out here uh, doing this anymore. It's clear we are a little corrupt. We're, we're, we're not keeping everyone's interests at heart. These humans are, are kind of assholes and kind of idiots sometimes, but they're actually their hearts in the right place. You know, they helped the fucking Olive Garden planet out. You know, they like to do the right thing. Yeah, they broke those guys out of prison, but, you know, it's kind of yeah, shitty that they were there. God, I, I was really, I was like, mention dear doctor. Suval, come on. <laughs> Come it's on, gone. Say- it's gone. Season one's over, Peter. Well, I never agreed to these terms. I said I would reduce. I'm, I'm. I will not forget. Anyways, so as hard as Archer shadow kicked Silic, uh, to Paul hits uh, Gary Graham twice as hard as that. Gary Graham spins on his heel and just walks out of the meeting. I'm sure saying, "I'm going to slap the taste out of that bitch's mouth." in Vulcan as he as he fled and uh, force is kind of like, OK, well, we'll be in contact. And we close out the episode with yet another shot confirming that outside of whatever she considers a duty uniform to Paul does not have any shirts that fit her. No, no, they're all they're all midriff bearing. She apparently she does have a bit of Vulcan vanity to her. Covering and up these abs would be illogical. <laughs> After the amount of work she's done. Nor, and also wearing there's a your, bra. Wearing there, a bra would also be illogical. There's your uh, there's your episode title. Covering up this body would be illogical. Um, and she is woken by Archer. Um, who They have an odd moment where like Archer's like, pretty sure someone saw me coming in here. So there might be rumors that I'm getting a booty call. Mm. And they're like, don't worry, like that person don't talk none. And Archer gives in the news of like, you basically sealed the deal for us. Like your speech convinced Starfleet to let us continue to do this. And, you know, she's pleased by that, clearly. And um, I, I do like how the last uh, lines of the episode work. It's like, I still don't believe in time travel. And then Archer just says, the hell you don't. Like, don't fucking lie to me. <laughs> like, the hell you don't. You clearly do. Don't don't fucking worry about it. I know you're just saying that to say it at this point. I liked it. I still liked it. Yes, there is shameless sexual exploitation. Yes, not arresting Silic doesn't make any damn sense. But All I was the time in-, in the future was wasted. Uh, but I, it, this I, is I, not a terrible episode. Again, I, I'm calling it meh. 
but it's got some real black marks on it. The the going back to the the sleazy low budget low budget you know with all the sex and the action in it like it does kind of feel like this is just a generic sci-fi original it felt like a high budget sci-fi original like it felt higher budget than any fucking shark <laughs> like, movie. like rick berman and brad Berger were sitting there with sci-fi on like you know this this isn't too bad but what if we did this and we put a big chunk of season two budget behind it no, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I'll put this firmly in math. There, there's some great shit in there. Again, I love all the Silic stuff. The 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 biggest piece for me to take away from this is to Paul's open rebellion. To Paul was heavily criticized by Yumi to the point where you called her the worst character of season one uh, because of lack of agency. And I hope that this is them taking what could be a pretty great character uh, and and fixing what has been fundamentally wrong with the portrayal of that character. And also bonus points. I don't think Mayweather's annoying a single time. Yeah, Mayweather isn't annoying. Um, and Reed is useful. And Trip is himself. And all the notes are hit. I will say this season is still a lot of poor Julian Blaylock being the sexual object. that They don't kick that for a while. But I, I do think this marks a, a, a tremendous increase in her uh, ability to portray that character. So I, I do believe it will improve. And this was a great first step in doing that. I liked the past stuff in the sense of like Daniel's panic and his like, I don't have time to fucking explain this shit to you method. Uh, I love the production of it up to and including the the use of an actual library as a set that they dressed up so poorly. So even the stuff that didn't work was kind of fun to notice. And overall, it's it's satisfying. Archer jumps through a time portal and fucking shadow kicks Silic into the dirt. I mean, that's just, that's just, that's storytelling, Peter. That's just storytelling. Mm. All right, moving on. Season two, episode two, Carbon <laughs> Okay, okay, guys, uh, you may not be aware of this, but Peter was warned. <laughs> I was warned. Carbon Creek, and I see, I don't know, that's got to be Jolene Blaylock. She's got a fucking grocery bag full of crap. I see 1930s Ford trucks behind her and some fucking little crappy town of Maine. I'm getting flashbacks from Fairhaven. Yuck. After Archer and Trip become curious about a visit, she made to Pennsylvania mining town called Carbon Creek. DePaul explains to them that Vulcans actually had their first contact with humans in 1957. That year, a Vulcan ship crashed in Earth and three crew members survived, including DePaul's great mar- including DePaul's great-grandmother deposes humans in Carbon Creek and take on jobs awaiting for rescue. As soon as they find themselves being more... Hey, you, you stop reading. <laughs> Peter, I don't know where you're reading these descriptions. Just read the ones on Memory Alpha. It's telling you half the fucking episode. I well, it sucks. What? <laughs> read the descriptions on Memory Alpha, dude. You're spoiling half the goddamn episode. I'm not spoiling. I'm just uh, prepping my mouth to be dumped in. I think that this episode uh, is gotten a terrible rap uh, for being like the one of the worst. And it doesn't deserve it. It's not good. It's not good. But like compare this to like 1159, you know, and some of the other like baffling stuff that doesn't belong as an episode right, of Star and then Trek. Compare it to fucking Donut Planet Voyager episode where the doctor gets stuck on the surface and has a fucking oh. family. I mean, that, that's great. I, I'm not taking away from the good episodes, but like Carbon Creek gets this rap. It's like, oh, it's so bad. It's so terrible. And it's like. It's not good, but like it is an interesting thought and it didn't pan out. It is not like one of the worst. Well, I'll tell you, based on what I just saw for uh, episode one of season two, I'm assuming that DePaul's grandmother, uh, since she got a job on Earth, it's probably going to be like what at Hooters or a strip club. I guess you're going to have to find out next week, Peter. (laughs) 
Not just DePaul being sexually objectified, but her grandma, too. <laughs> it's friends in the family. Mm-hmm. We'll see everybody next week. <laughs>